Happy Friday, Story Fam, and happy first week of Houston summer. Ah, do you feel it? The heat, the humidity, it's gross. <laughs> if you've checked Instagram lately, you've probably got half your friends hiking mountains or sipping beachfront Mai Tais in places far more exotic than Houston. But hey, at least the traffic won't be so bad for a few months around here. I've got a couple of things I'd like to get you all caught up on before jumping into this week's reflection. First, as you probably are aware of by now, the story will be leaving the St. Luke's United Methodist Church campus by the end of this year. Uh, This was not the story's decision. We weren't planning on scrambling to find a new home and establishing a new independent entity in 2021. But this is where we are now. And since this news broke a few weeks ago, we've quickly launched an effort to secure a new home for the story's River Oaks campus. And while no path forward has yet become clear, I'm happy to say that we're starting to see some doors begin to open up. I'd like to ask you to do three things as we enter into this critical, uncertain, and exciting season. First, pray for wisdom. Pray for God's Spirit to direct our steps. Second, prepare now for a financial investment later this year. Listen, finding and furnishing a new home for the story won't be easy or cheap. We will be launching a generosity initiative later this summer or early fall. Giovanna and I are already making adjustments to our family's financial plan now in preparation for what's coming. And if you love the story, I'd like to ask you to prayerfully consider doing the same. Thank you in advance. Third, I am aware that we couldn't answer every question that was submitted during our three town hall meetings a couple of weeks ago. If you still have lingering questions about how we got to this place and how our situation with St. Luke's has unfolded, please email me at pastors at the story dot church. Once again, it's pastors at the story dot church. Transparency is very important to me at times like these, and I value you and your questions so deeply. So I look forward to hearing from you and I'll get back to you just as soon as I can. Also, I've got to tell you how excited I am about another in the fire, our brand new series of sermons starting this Sunday at the story The title, Another in the Fire, is a reference to the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the Old Testament book of Daniel. The Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar, actually it was Nebuchadnezzar II, had sentenced three men to death by incineration. But after he had thrown them into the furnace, a fourth man, who it says in Daniel 3.25, looked like the Son of God, appeared in the flames beside them. Miraculously, the three men walked out of the fire unscathed because there was another in the fire. Sometimes in life, we need just a little bit of help from God. But other times, we need God to do the impossible. Every once in a while, we need a miracle. With another in the fire, trusting God to do the impossible, we're going to take a closer look at eight stories in the Old Testament when God came through in some big, mighty, miraculous ways. Listen, y'all, the point is, If God was able to do the impossible back then, he's still able to do the impossible today. He's the same God, then, today, and always. I can't wait to launch this new series this Sunday at the Story Church. You can join us live at River Oaks at 8.30, 9.45, and 11, and at Timber Grove at 9.45. Or, of course, you can worship online with us via YouTube, Facebook, or at thestory.church. I've been praying and preparing uh, to teach about the supernatural power of God over the next couple of months. And as I've been doing that, 
The topic of miracles has weighed heavily on my skeptical mind. This week's reflection, called Miracles, is adapted from day 22 of my book, 40 Days of Doubt, Devotions for the Skeptic. I hope it's a blessing to you this week. So let's dive in. Miracles. It's been said that no rational person can be a Christian. And here's why. You have no choice when you're a Christian but to believe in miracles. And miracles are, by definition, irrational. Miracles require the suspension of the laws of physics, which can't happen, right? Sometimes when I hear people say, it's a miracle, I have to bite my snarky little tongue. Because I'm a Christian now, but I'm still a skeptic at heart. When someone says that, you know, they're pregnant after trying for years and, and I'm supposed to be happy for them and, and celebrate their miracle, part of me says, well, you couldn't bear children and now you're pregnant with twins? That's great. But it's not technically a miracle, is it? I mean, isn't what really happened? You paid a lot of money for IVF treatments and the treatments worked? Oh, oh, you miraculously avoided a head-on collision on your way to this meeting? Okay, maybe it was a miracle, or maybe you've got good reflexes, or maybe you're just plain lucky. Oh, you flew Spirit Airlines and made it home alive and on time. Uh, all right, well, that might actually be a miracle. You got me on that one. Spirit Airlines is awful. Everything that happens in the universe seems to have some natural, non-miraculous explanation. And if scientists haven't found it yet, they probably will one day, at least according to that snarky, cynical voice in my head. But there's no explaining the virgin birth or turning water into wine or coming back from the dead. So, how can any sensible person believe in miracles? It's a common assumption that Christians believe in miracles because our dogma insists that we must, while intellectuals don't believe in miracles because they're free to think for themselves. But is that really the case? Are the Christians the one who are really locked in their dogma here? Christians who consider humanity's historic universal belief in miracles worthy of our attention? Or are the atheist academics the ones who are locked into their dogma? Academics who insist that what we can observe in the universe is all there is and all that will ever be. The late astronomer and prominent atheist Carl Sagan once said, the cosmos, in other words, the universe, is all there is and all there ever will be. Think about the level of hubris behind such a declaration. He didn't just say the cosmos is all that we know about, or the cosmos is all that we see, or the cosmos is all that science can study. He said the cosmos is all there is and all there ever will be. How can anyone, much less a noted scientist and physicist, make such a claim, an overarching, all-encompassing, objective truth claim, while offering no evidentiary support? I mean, it's one thing to say science can only observe the natural world. Science can only observe the cosmos. But it's quite another to say the natural world, the cosmos, is all there is and ever will be. I understand why it's hard for people to believe in miracles. Many people today say that they've never seen one. Even if they are real, miracles seem to be exceedingly rare to the point of irrelevance. I suppose if your understanding of a miracle is something so extraordinarily inexplicable 
that it leaves you breathless without explanation, then yeah, miracles would be exceedingly rare. But for me, the question begins and ends with the most shocking miracles in the universe, which are these first, that anything exists at all. And second, the existence of life in particular, intelligent life. Most of us learned about the big bang in middle school science class, but we never really talked about the strange appearance of the pre-existing conditions that made the big bang possible. Where did those ingredients come from? In the same vein, how can we explain the existence of anything at all? Consider the unthinkable odds against the possibility of life, for example. According to astrophysicist Hugh Ross, these unthinkable odds can be illustrated in this intentionally absurd five-step analogy. Step one, Dr. Ross says, cover every square inch of the surface of North America with dimes, just one layer of dimes covering all of North America. Second, add another layer of dimes and another and another and another until you've reached the moon with every stack of dimes across North America. 238,000 miles high. Step three, Dr. Ross says, find a billion other continents the size of North America and stack dimes reaching the moon on all of them in the same manner. Step four, randomly choose one dime from your billions and billions of 238,000 mile high stacks and paint it red. And then put that one dime back anywhere you wish. And step five, finally, blindfold a friend of yours and tell him to pick one dime from any stack on any continent. The insurmountable odds of your friend picking out the one red dime among all the other dimes are the same odds that stack the deck against the emergence of life in this universe. And the odds against the emergence of our particular brand of life, human life, intelligent and self-aware, are even more unimaginable. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, The invariable mark of wisdom is to see the miraculous in the common. After years of doubting the supernatural, I'm now confident that believing in miracles is more rational than not. It's all a miracle. Life is a miracle. Your life is miraculous. And so is mine. So let's choose to live accordingly today. Have a great weekend, everybody. We'll see you on Sunday at the Story Church. Bye.